Well, I'm going to respond to a counter-missionary rabbi and then have a great interview with Marty and Misha Getz on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. If you have a Jewish-related question, now's the time to call 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Bottom of the hour, going to be speaking with Marty and Misha Getz about music ministry, God using them as Messianic Jewish psalmists, and about a trip they're taking to Israel in May. But... First, your calls, questions on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So if it's a Jewish-related question, 866-348-7884. Before that, I want to take a few minutes to respond to a counter-missionary rabbi who has now been appearing weekly on a radio talk show to differ with some material that I've taught I have a five-volume series, most of you know, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. So there's going to be some interaction with that. I imagine they'll be going on for quite some time. And uh, the counter-missionary rabbi, Moshe Shulman, is a brilliant man, is obviously fluent in rabbinic literature, and has challenged me on many a point over the years. We've had many an email interaction over the years. He's often been at debates uh, where I've, I've debated rabbis. In, in fact, in fact, uh, years back, he actually drove all the way up to Boston uh, in order to attend the debate I did with Rabbi Shmuley, as long as we guaranteed him a, a good seat. So um, we've been interacting for years and have very, very deep differences in the midst of our interaction. And he's appearing now on a radio show, a Tanakh Talk, I, I don't know much about the show, except every so often folks would send me clips when he had another counter-missionary rabbi on, uh, Rabbi Tovia Singer, and I responded to some misinformation that Rabbi Singer had put out on the show once. I don't know anything about the host or his background, except apparently uh, he used to be a believer in Jesus and, and isn't now. But um, he said something really interesting. I want to get to Rabbi Shulman's comments, just, just a few that got my attention and that struck me as odd knowing Rabbi Shulman's seriousness of his study and scholarship in the midst of our differences, a couple of his comments struck me as very odd. I, I want to get to those. But first, uh, the host said something that also struck me as very odd and got my attention. Clip number one, this is what he had to say. Dr. Michael Brown has uh, spent his uh, his career in, in um, guiding seeking to guide Jewish people towards the the Christian New Testament Messiah uh, using uh, extreme measures. And when I say extreme, uh, I mean going through rabbinic literature, uh, an area where most people are, are unable to respond. Yeah, I, I don't know what he meant by extreme. What's, what's extreme about using rabbinic literature to interact with rabbis and religious Jews about the Messiah? What's extreme about using rabbinic literature to say, here's where I agree, here's where I disagree? 
What's extreme about using rabbinic literature to say, here's where I think the rabbis rightly understood this text, and here's where I think they wrongly understood it. Or here's where I differ with the rabbinic system, or here where I think the rabbinic system provides a bridge that, that helps pave the way for understanding that Yeshua is the Messiah. So that, I, I don't, it, it, it almost was like I was doing something wrong, some extreme measures, or I'm using rabbinic literature because people don't know how to respond to it. I'm, I'm using it primarily for the ones that are familiar with it, for the ones who've studied it for years, so that we can interact on, on that turf. Uh, but anyway, that, that just struck me as very odd. Uh, anyway, this particular broadcast, they were taking time to interact with a paper I delivered in 1991, which then became the appendix in the last volume of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. So Traditional Jewish Objections came out in 2010. That was volume five. And it's called Unequal Weights and Measures, a Critique of the Methodology of the Anti-Missionaries. Now, I since changed from anti-missionaries to counter-missionaries because some said that that was a term they preferred, so I switched to counter-missionaries instead of anti-missionaries. And in their terminology, if you're a Jewish believer in Jesus, you're a missionary, automatically, you're a missionary. Even though missionary can be a derogatory term in many Jewish eyes, that's the term that's used. So they're the counter-missionaries. In any case, I, I, I wrote this to take issue with the methodology of the counter-missionaries, those who sought to oppose what we taught and believed. And I took issue with inconsistency in their methodology, that they would use one canon of criticism when attacking the New Testament, but another canon of criticism entirely when dealing with the Hebrew Bible or dealing with rabbinic literature. They would use critical scholarship when attacking the New Testament, but not use that same critical scholarship when evaluating the Hebrew Bible or rabbinic literature. And I felt that it was unethical and violating the injunction often found in Scripture about unequal weights and measures. So Rabbi Shulman takes issue with my methodology. He wrote a paper many years ago. His basic thesis being, you're comparing apples with oranges. You want us to use the same canon of criticism, but Judaism is different than Christianity. And Judaism's understanding of the scriptural text is different than Christianity's understanding of the scriptural text. And both of them treat the Hebrew Bible differently. And you treat the New Testament differently than they would treat rabbinic literature, etc. Therefore, you don't use the same canon of criticism because you're, you're evaluating two completely different categories or systems of thought. That was his argument. And, and he tries to back it up by one of the texts that I cite. So listen to what Rabbi Shulman has to say, clip number two. Are we there? Do we have it? All right. Um, all right. Tell, tell you what, well, let's set that up again. Kim, let me know if you've got it ready. I may have caught you off guard there. We were trying to play the video, but had a problem doing it. So we're, we're having to play the audio instead. So, all right. So let's listen to what Rabbi Shulman has to say, clip number two. So from the beginning, we see there's something a little bit, something a little bit funny with what Brown is saying. Unequal weights and measures. Well, the Torah actually prescribes unequal weights and measures. It prescribes a measurement for your liquid weights and measure for solid weights. All right. Two big, big problems there. Number one, it would be wrong to say the Torah calls for unequal weights and measures. It would have been better to say different. 
Because unequal gives you a sense of something wrong, something unethical, something unequal. Different would have been fine. And his point is this. So Leviticus 19, and here from the new JPS version, you shall not falsify measures of length, weight, or capacity. You shall have an honest balance, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I, the Lord, am your God, who freed you from the land of Egypt. You shall faithfully observe my laws and all my rules. I am the Lord. So Rabbi Shulman says, look, an ephah, that, that is a solid measure, and a hin, that's a liquid measure. So you have two different measures. And, 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 and I'm using the verse to say, don't have unequal measures. And he's saying, no, you have different measures. Okay, first, that is a complete misapplication of the verse. He's saying, whatever your measure is, make it an honest measure. That's my whole point. Make it an honest, consistent measure. So whether you're measuring solids, liquids, make it an honest measure. Make it a consistent measure. It's not saying have different measures, have one for solid, have one for liquid. That's, self under, that's self-evident that you have different measures for different things, all right? How tall is someone versus how much does someone weigh, all right? Those are two different measures. But in both cases, God is saying, be consistent, be consistent, be honest, be upright. That's my whole point. So not only is the text not calling for unequal weights and measures, Rabbi Shulman's application of that to our point misses the point entirely. But, but even if, even if his argument is a valid argument that you use solid measures for solid, liquid measures for liquid, or in my analogy, one thing to measure height, another thing to measure weight, all right, and just be consistent with it. And his argument is that, that Judaism uses text one way and Christianity uses text another way, and therefore you have to evaluate them differently. Oh, okay. What, what, what about, though, Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 16? He didn't treat that text. I don't know why, but it's, it's right after it in my paper that he was reading from. You shall not have in your pouch alternate weights, larger and smaller. That was my whole point. He claims I'm using a verse that, that subverts my point. No, quite the contrary. The verse I use in Leviticus absolutely supports my point, saying whatever you're measuring with, be honest and consistent with it. All right? And now here, the whole point is don't use two different kinds of measures. <clears throat> when you're measuring the same thing, don't use two different kinds of measures. And I'm quite sure that when it comes to counter-missionary tactics, oh, there are some that are ethical, and there are plenty that are not. I've witnessed it with my own eyes. I document it there in the paper. And I, I think for some reason this is not on our website now, but we'll post it soon. We'll let you know when it's posted so you can read this for yourself. Deuteronomy 25, starting verse 13. You shall not have in your pouch alternate weights, larger and smaller. You shall not have in your house alternate measures, a larger and a smaller. You must have completely honest weights and completely honest measures. If you are to endure long on the soil that the Lord your God has given you, for everyone who does those things, everyone who deals dishonestly is abhorrent to the Lord your God. And as I wrote, the principle of the prohibition is clear. It is forbidden to use a short weight or measure when weighing out the produce sold while using a large weight or measure when weighing out the money received in payment, whether it's liquid, whether it's solid, whatever it is. It's deceitful, unjust, and unfair. That's why the scripture promises the people of Israel long life on their native soil if they'd be obedient to this rule. As expressed by Abraham Ibn Ezra, one of the leading medieval Jewish biblical commentators, it is a known fact that every kingdom based on justice will stand. Justice is like a building and justice is like the cracks in that building which cause it to fall without a moment's warning. Proverbs, what does it say? Proverbs 11.1, 1, 
False scales are an abomination to the Lord, and honest weight pleases him. Proverbs 16, 11. Honest scales and balances are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Proverbs 20, 10. False weights and false measures both are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 20, 23. False weights are an abomination to the Lord. Dishonest scales are night are not right. And on and on. And I quote numerous rabbinic sources that support this. So I'm calling for consistency. And whatever we're comparing, liquid, excuse me, liquid, solid, height, weight, whatever categories, let's be consistent. Let's be honest. Let's be upright. And that's what I demonstrated in my paper. The counter missionaries have not been. Oh, not all of them, but some of them. And it's documented. We'll come back. Another comment by Rabbi Shulman just struck me as, as very odd. I was surprised by it. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, I was jumping in to say welcome back and forgot. It was Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Wow. There is the music letting you know it was Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Thursday. Michael Brown, blessed and delighted to be with you. In a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by Marty and Misha Getz. They're actually going to be with me like two weeks ago, and we weren't sure what was happening with that because of having to leave for Israel that day. And then last week, they were going to be on live with me from Israel, but we had tech issues. So patient, gracious, they are joining us today in a few minutes. We'll hear a little, some excerpts from some of their music too. Yeah, that's always the problem is I'm not going to want to stop it. I just want to let it keep playing. But, but <clears throat> uh, let me get back to Rabbi Moshe Shulman and then I'll see if I can take a call or two, 866-34-TRUTH with a Jewish related question. So Rabbi Shulman has been letting me know that he's on this radio show, Tanakh Talk, which often features counter missionaries, rabbis that would be speaking against Jewish faith in Jesus or faith in Jesus just in general, I would think. And anyway, uh, he sent me the links and I've been listening as I've been able to. And I, I, I just have to say, I've been very surprised by some of the comments made. Uh, like, Check this one out. Clip number three. Let, let's see what Rabbi Shulman had to say. The Christians, when they look at the New Testament, they don't look at it as history. They look at it more as a fictional, maybe historical fiction. They don't really look at it as, they look at it as like a foreshadowing or allegorical. They don't look at it in a simple level as um, Abraham took his son physically to slaughter on the mountain. Um, king David was an actual king. He had a son Solomon who built an actual real temple. Yeah, I, I, all right. So he said New Testament. He meant Old Testament. This the slip of the tongue happens to all of us. I, that's a strange comment. I mean, the whole New Testament is based on the historicity of what came before. And, and the whole New Testament is based on things actually happening in history in the life of Jesus. In other words, this, this is not allegory now, and it was an allegory then. 
the same God who literally created the universe. That's spoken of in literal terms. You know, God making the universe, creating the universe in six days, taken in literal terms. As take, taken in literal terms that, that God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and taken in literal terms that there was an exodus from Egypt and taken in literal terms that David did certain things and Solomon did certain things. And, and you know, you read Hebrews 11 and literal terms, what happened with Noah and what happened with Enoch and what happened with Samson and Jephthah and, and others and, and heroes of the faith talking about the literal things that happened. I mean, the, the whole New Testament is based on the literal truth, the literal historicity of the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh is not read as historical fiction. It's not read primarily as allegory. Is it read also recognizing that what came before had symbolism, that what came before had representation? Yes, of course. But it's based on the literality, the historicity of what came before. I mean, read 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul talks about Israel in the wilderness. Sinned in this way and judgment came. Sinned in this way and judgment came. Sinned in this way and judgment came. And this amount of tens of thousands of people died. So don't make the same mistakes or you'll come under judgment also. I'd say it literally happened and literal judgment could happen again through literal disobedience. I, I mean, Jesus refers to historical events. Didn't you read this when David did this? Didn't you read about that? Understand it literally happened. Hebrews 11 talking about Abraham. I mean, that very example that Rabbi Shulman mentions, talking about Abraham, and, and he's going to offer up Isaac on Mount Moriah, that, that it literally happened. That it literally happened. And, the, and what do we learn from it? That Abraham actually expected it was going to kill Isaac, that God was going to give him back from the dead. And the heroes of the faith, and commending Job for his perseverance, and Jacob, James, the, the fifth chapter, I mean, one example after another, Jesus telling us to rejoice when we're persecuted because that's how the prophets suffered before us. So yeah, it's understood as things happened to David as he was betrayed by a friend, Jesus will be betrayed by a friend. But that's because it literally happened to David. It'll literally happen to Jesus. And just as Israel, as in its infancy, went into Egypt, and as God's son came out of Egypt, that literally happened. So also, the Messiah, God's son, literally went into Egypt and will come out of Egypt. But to say that the New Testament reads it primarily as allegory or historical fiction, categorically, absolutely, without question, false, unqualified, false. Ma Matthew, how does he start? With a genealogy to trace back literally Jesus as the son of David and the son of Abraham. To, to give the literal grounding in history. And, and throughout the Gospels, that's how it is. Luke wanted to ground everything in past history, with it, right up to the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and the birth of John the Immerser, and then Miriam Mary, the birth of Jesus. It's, if, it's not, if it's not literal truth, then there's no foundation on which the New Testament stands. Does it understand verses Prophetically, there, there are prophecies. Yes, that's the right way to understand them. Does it here and there offer an allegorical interpretation like Paul in, in Galatians 4? Yes, and that's quite exceptional when he does that. And it's clear he's offering an allegorical interpretation, but so did the rabbis. In fact, in fact, scholars looking at rabbinic literature, rabbinic treatment of the Old Testament, treatment of the Old Testament and the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
and treatment of the Old Testament in, in Matthew's gospel. For example, Robert Gundry focused on that. Let's see how Matthew treats the Old Testament. Let's see how rabbinic literature treats the Old Testament. Let's see how the Dead Sea Scrolls treated. Found that Matthew had the most sober interpretation of the three. But beyond that, the parables, the allegories, the homiletical interpretations, the plays on words, those are all common in later rabbinic literature. In other words, the New Testament fits well in Jewish interpretation of Scripture, except in many ways is more sober. This is a very odd comment. Perhaps if Robert Schulman hears this, he can correct what, what he said or qualify it, because as he said it, it's flat out wrong. The problem is, some people who don't know any better will hear it and think it's right. So that's, I'm surprised. I'm surprised by the comments I've quoted so far. They're, they're beneath the, the, the quality of, of what I normally expect from Rabbi Shulman. In the midst of our differences, I expect him to be more accurate in statements like this that he makes. All right, let's grab a call or two. Um, let's go over to Stephen in Georgia. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I, I just have a, a quick question for you. Um, okay, I'm a Messianic Jew. Uh, living in the South, that's very uncommon. Uh, <clears throat> I have a lot of um, a lot of my peers who are uh, Christian theologians. They always seem to want to bring up Colossians 2 and Galatians 4 and 5 mm-hmm. and tell me that uh, Paul was telling them that they do not have to keep Torah, that we are not bound by it. And my argument is in Colossians 2, uh, I think that that's when it says, let no one judge you by days, or, you know, holidays, feasts, and everything you said there. I think that it is their pagan peers that they just came out of who is judging them. I think, I think, I think they have started keeping those feasts and those holidays and the commandments. And I think it is the, their, like I said, their, their pagan peers that are coming against them, judging them for keeping those things. Am, am I wrong? And also in Galatians 4 and 5, it seems like, I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah, Stephen, I mean, yeah, let, let, me, let me just jump in for time's sake. Paul oh. is absolutely not writing to you. He is absolutely not writing to you as a Jewish believer. He's writing to Gentile believers who either were in Colossians 2 under some pressure to take on some type of a Jewish mixed with pagan spirituality. And he's saying, don't uh-huh. let anyone pressure you in that way. And, and Paul's writing to Galatians, who were Gentiles, who came under the false teaching that unless they obeyed the law of Moses and were circumcised, they wouldn't even be saved. And that's, number one, not what you're saying. You're not saying this is for salvation. You're saying it's just part of your covenant calling as a Jew, number one. Right. And, and number two, you, you, are, you are not imposing this on Gentiles. So they are completely misapplying these verses, and your answer to them is absolutely right. Paul was not writing that to you. He was writing that to Gentiles who came under legalistic and Judaizing pressure that was taking them away from the gospel. You rejoice in salvation by grace, by the blood of the Messiah. And as a Jew, uh, you continue to live as a Jew as God lays it on your heart. And show them 1 Corinthians 7, uh, uh, about 15, 16 verses in, where Paul says, if you were called circumcised, don't become uncircumcised. If you were called uncircumcised, don't become circumcised. So if, if you're called to salvation as a Jew, and it's natural for you to, to live this out in the life of the, of the new covenant, the life of the Spirit, great. By all means, do it. Uh, and if anything is binding, legalistic put on you, that's what you resist. And you're not imposing this on Gentiles. So they're absolutely 
misapplying this. And, and doesn't Romans 14 give us the right to, to obey our own conscience? And if you set aside one day as particularly holy to the Lord, and that's what you do in your conscience before God, does someone else have the right to tell you not to? So you be blessed, Stephen, and you honor the Lord. And as you feel to honor him living as a Jew, you do it before him. Hey, thank you for the call. I had to jump in because we're short on time. All right, listen, if you are on hold, here's the deal. If I have time, when I'm done talking with Marty and Misha, I will take a few more calls. So stay right there. If you can hold for a bit when I'm done talking with Marty and Misha, I'll take a few more calls. You can line up now if you like, 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. We will be right back with our special guests. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. Just got back from Israel on Sunday, and I have to tell you, this is now the third tour that we've done leading folks in Israel. I've been, of course, to Israel many times to minister, but rather than getting less excited with each tour, I'm getting more excited. And I'm, I'm getting more excited with how deeply people are blessed and how they're impacted. And you know when there's something you're really excited about, you get to share it with other people. You know, you got a new DVD. Oh, you got to listen to this or you got to watch this or you got to go to this restaurant and taste this or you have no idea what it's like to to bring people to Israel and they suddenly walk in this world that's thousands of years old and you get to, it's just, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. And my guests, Marty Getz and his daughter, Misha, uh, they, are, they are dear friends, Marty's wife, Jennifer, we've known for many, many years. And one of my great joys is, is ministering. And before I minister the word that Marty does a worship concert or leads us in worship before the Lord. And Marty and Misha, I've uh, got a new DVD coming out, or it's out. And they've also got an Israel tour. So you know, they've got Israel get Israel with Marty and Misha. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment on Thirdly Jewish Thursday. Hey, Marty and Misha, how you doing today? Hey, Dr. Michael, how are you doing? Hi. Hey there. So uh, Marty gets, uh, I know you've got a wonderful testimony that you've, you've put to music as well, but give us the short version of how this Jew came <laughs> to know Jesus the Messiah and, and how music has played such an important role in your life. Well, my first musical uh, experience was as a as a member of the Cantor's Club in the Temple on the Heights in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was uh, one of you know the Cantor there, the the song leader in our temple. He had a bunch of these young fellows that 
that were singing there. By the way, I was never the main soloist. I only got a solo when other people got sick, but I did get a few. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. But that's, I grew up, as, as many of us did, Michael, uh, as a conservative Jewish guy in Cleveland. And, of course, I didn't live in the Holy Land, New York, like you. Uh-huh. I was uh, in the Midwest. But uh, Bar Mitzvah confirmed at 15, and I remember my confirmation class, the rabbi would run into the confirmation class to tell us the progress of the 67 war when Israel mm. uh, recaptured uh, Jerusalem. And at that time, I didn't really get the full weight of it now, uh, then, but now I, I certainly do. But that's how I grew up. And I, had, I didn't want to have anything really to do with God past my days of going to temple and living in Cleveland with my Orthodox Jewish grandparents and all that. But I went to college in Carnegie Mellon in uh, Pittsburgh, Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon University. And there, the speaking of music, I didn't do much music in high school. But when I went to college, I auditioned because I always loved music. I play piano. And uh, I auditioned for a man who was the chef on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. His name was Don Brockett, and he was Chef Brockett on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He used to write these shows. I auditioned for it. I got the job as an onstage piano player, went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and did a summer stock kind of a thing. And I got the showbiz bug. Uh, You know, I was much more interested in show business than I was in heaven or anything like that. (laughs) Mm. So, uh, you know, that's the way it was. And and, uh, everything went along like that through the college years. But in one year that I was in college, Mr. Brockett wrote a show that went to Off-Broadway. And I went to Off-Broadway and uh, played piano and sang in this show. It only lasted three performances. But one of the fellows in the show was a big, strong, handsome uh, uh, tenor singing uh, guy from Altoona, Pennsylvania named Bert Lloyd. He was a Christian, a Methodist, but, uh, and we formed a, after the show closed, we formed a singing act called Bert and Marty, and we went up to the Catskill Mountains, or some people know it as the Borscht Belt, or sometimes they call it the Jewish Alps. It was a place where a lot of Jews went for vacations, and they had entertainment. With long story short, everything was great. Bert and I thought we were going to be, you know, singing stars. Did a show in New York City, and uh, everything was great until Bert, the Methodist from Altoona, wanted something a little more, and he went to a, a church called the Rock Church in New York City, and it was a Pentecostal church. And as I uh-huh. sometimes joke with people, I said. From that day on, he Pentecosted me. <laughs> he, he wanted me, just like you, Dr. Brown, a, a Jewish guy, he wanted me to know his Jesus. And I, I don't know, I don't, I'm not exactly, you know I, know, I know you have an amazing testimony, but in my testimony, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I, I, I got yeah. as far away from Bert as I could. As a matter of fact, I moved all the way to Los Angeles to get away from him. Because <laughs> I didn't, I, you know, because they tell us that uh, you, you need Jesus to go to heaven. I mean, we Jewish boys, we don't want to hear that. But you know what it did, uh, Michael? It provoked me to jealousy. <laughs> mm. At least, well, first to anger, but then, as the scripture says, to jealousy. I started reading the Bible myself. And. The Bible led me to uh, think about the claims of Jesus. I didn't even know he had a Hebrew name, Yeshua, 
And I didn't know there was any other Jews thinking about believing in him. But I, as I read, I read that he was the greatest Jew that ever lived, you know, that he <laughs> raised the dead and gave sight to the blind, made the deaf to hear, and loved his mom and celebrated the Jewish holidays. He was a better Jew than I was. And eventually, one of Bert's friends who was living in Los Angeles took me to hear a guy named Hal Lindsey preaching on the beach. He, he wrote a book called the, the, Last, the Late Great Planet Earth. And then she dragged me to a place called the Vineyard, which was a church out in the San Fernando Valley. And somehow these people that had been praying for me all these years, reading the Bible myself, and being provoked now to jealousy to want whatever it was they had, because I knew I didn't have it, I just, on, on, uh, on February 12th, 1978, I walked forward with my friend Annie, who took me there, and mm. I bowed my knee and asked Yeshua, Jesus, into my life and asked that he would receive me to himself. And it's, it's been that way ever since. And he's been faithful. And sometimes even when I'm not faithful, he's still faithful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's uh, everlastingly true. In, in fact, the, the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in 47 years now in the Lord is, is to lean on his faithfulness, yes, not mine. Sir. But uh, Marty, uh, we're going we're gonna to meet Misha in a moment. I, I want to talk about your DVD and tour, but let's just uh, play a clip. I'm going to have to be disciplined and, and jump in at a certain point because when we ever play clips, you know, I just, just want to sit back and worship. But let's, let's just and play, play a clip. And play drums. Play drums too, yeah. In, in heaven, I'll get, I'll get to join you in heaven on, on drums. But uh, let's, let's listen to Marty and Misha. So powerful from Numbers chapter six, the priestly blessing put to music by Marty Getz, his daughter Misha. I'm looking at their website now, MartyGetz.com. That's spelled G-O-E-T-Z. MartyGetz.com forward slash Israel. Uh, Marty, you're going to Israel May 12th to May 21st. Maybe folks wanted to come with me and they they missed the opportunity. It was too late. They couldn't get things together. But May 12th through 21st, a once-in-a-lifetime 10-day journey through the Holy Land with live worship and music. Misha, tell us some of what you have planned to, to do in Israel with live worship and music. Yes, well, um, we would love for anyone listening to join us. We 
took this trip last year, and uh, my husband was actually the one who said, this is something we have to do. Um, my dad has been uh, in ministry for almost 40 years now and has so many people all over the world who have been impacted by his music and uh, by his love for Israel and his heart for the Jewish people, for his people. And so we did this last summer, and we had so much fun <laughs> that um, we thought we would do it again. So while we're there, we are going to see all the sites. All, all the sites you would want to see, um, and we're going to be worshiping all across the land. We're going to be worshiping at the Garden Tomb. We'll be worshiping um, on the Mount of Beatitudes. We'll be worshiping in Caesarea, and uh, it's just an amazing thing to be able to stop in the midst of those touring times and just take a moment to reflect and to worship, because sometimes when you're going from place to place to place, you get a little caught up. So I think that's what makes this uh, tour so special is the times that we carve out for that. Well, all right, mm-hmm. May May 12th to 21st, so that's this year, so it's just a few months off. So if you, oh boy. you missed the opportunity, <laughs> now it's time to jump in. So go to martygetsgoetz.com to find out about the Israel tour. All right, we come back. I, I want to talk more about your new DVD and Misha find out what, what it's like to grow up in a musical family and find out that you're going to be part of it, uh, singing as well. If, if you don't have any of Marty and Misha's music, you've, you've really got to get it. Uh, I, I'm talking about stuff that will minister richly to you. Wonderful music, wonderful lyrics, biblically based, anointed by God. You'll be blessed. I have been for many, many years now. No hype. I mean it deeply. Marty knows it. He knows even a couple songs, special songs to play right before I speak that just get me to the depth of my heart. All right, we'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday with my special guests, Guest, my special guests. My, spe- I've never done that. My special guests, Marty and Misha Getz. Hey, that that, that just worked out very well. Was, yeah. Didn't even didn't even intend that. So, so Misha, you grew up with your dad playing piano, singing with your mom and dad singing together. When did music become important in your own life? You know, that is a question I get asked all the time. Um, but I don't have a great answer because I honestly cannot remember a time when it was not a part of my life. Um, I've been singing with my dad since I could talk, and mm. uh, we have all kinds of photos of me crawling across the piano, under the piano, up to the microphone from the time I was a little, little, little baby. And um, and so I've always been a part of the, the family business, so to speak, and uh, and I'm just so thankful to be able to do this with my dad as an adult and as an artist um, in my own right as well. I'm just, it's an amazing experience. 
Yeah, and it's it's wonderful as we've done uh, events with our friends Scott Volk and others for Together for Israel, and we could all minister together. It's it's always very very special and wonderful. So Marty, you, you've got a new DVD out. T- tell us about it. Yes, well, uh, we uh, well we have uh, the 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 piece that you that you played the ironic benediction from Numbers. I have to say, Misha composed that. That was one of her first compositions. Wow! Yeah, Sweet. and that song's gone all over the world. And uh, we we sang it in Jerusalem on uh, on a stage overlooking the city last year, and we did a DVD of that that concert. We worked very very hard on it, didn't we, Misha? Oh yeah. <laughs> and we did it at the uh, at, at a at a TBN studio overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and it's a live concert with an orchestra, Israeli Israeli musicians play behind us, and uh, we we. Uh, it's called Live from Jerusalem. Marty and Misha get, Marty gets and Misha Live from Jerusalem. It's a DVD, full-length DVD, with along with a lot of bonus things where we talk and talk about the songs we've written, things like that. And uh, it's also a CD, and uh, that's our newest release. And some of the songs come, well, the songs are from all, uh, my albums and Misha's album called Weight of Glory. And then there's an album we did together called Lador Vador, and we took some songs from that album. That's, a, that's an album Misha and I did together. And the, the concert uh, is, a, is, kind of a, is kind of a culling of, of, of songs from those albums and some new things that we wrote and, and, and presented. So it's Live from Jerusalem is the DVD, along with the CD as well, and also the Lador Vador album is the one that we did together maybe one or two years ago. And uh, that, of course, that means it's you know literally it means uh, well you know some people say midor lador <laughs> you're right the, from you're generation the, uh, to generation yeah. you're the Hebrew expert but lador vador is from the prayer book and that's yeah. a, that's a that's a prayer that I grew up singing lador vador from generation to generation um, and that's how we want this uh, entire experience to be uh, appreciated by people that it's a father and a daughter passing. The blessing and the uh, the uh, anointing of God from one generation to another, and the good news of Yeshua Hamashiach, our Savior and our Redeemer. In so fact, that's what, it rep- re- that's what it reflects. All right, so so let's uh, let's see if we've got one more clip from Marty and Misha, so that we can just get a glimpse into this brand new DVD and CD clip number five. I know the plans I have for you You're always on my mind And all the thoughts I think toward you Are lovingly designed To bring you through And give to you A future and a hope Therefore your peace Therefore, you're good. The plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. You're always on my mind. And all the thoughts I think toward you are loving me. To bring you through and give to you 
a future and a home. Therefore, your peace. Therefore, your good. The plans I have for you. Yeah, that's just must have been amazing with the live orchestra in, in Israel and, and all of that too. Uh, and uh, you know, as 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 we're listening to this, just kind of drinking it in. I, I I know the moment this is up on YouTube, it'll get flagged for copyright infringement. I can say, wait, wait, they were on the show with me. This we're playing their stuff. We're promoting their stuff. But anyway, that's 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 not a problem, Marty. Obviously, you're there as believers, and you're singing songs to the Lord as believers. We're could you see where any musicians, any people involved, were they, were they touched by what was happening? Yeah, you know that that was an that was an interesting thing. You know, a lot of the, the Israeli musicians were not believers. There were there were there were a few that were, and uh, but but a lot of them were not. And I remember one one of the the, the main uh, violinist, the kind of the head of the violin section. After it was over, he came up and gave me this big hug and just said that was just an amazing experience and he he was he was all aglow <laughs> and you know something interesting happened during the during the concert we it just happened to be at the same time they were having like a uh, I think it might have been a Ramadan kind of a celebration in in the Holy Land and and it was uh we at one point we were supposed to go to, from one song to the next and we heard all of this chanting and this kind of um uh, I think it was in Arabic, I think. It was just a kind of a a din that was coming, and it was interrupting what we were doing. And I just completely impromptu uh, started to play Hatikva, the, the national anthem of Israel, the hope, and just played it. And then we began to sing it, and the fe- the people in the orchestra stood to their feet, and it was an amazing moment because there they were standing in the land singing their anthem wow. you know during this concert and after there afterward i could just tell that there was a real uh touching of hearts you know and we we uh you know we presented the gospel the good news we didn't we didn't really get to speak with anyone afterward about that in particular but I think every seed that we plant there, and every every time we represent uh, the Lord in a good and positive way there amongst the people of Israel, I think it's a good thing. So, yeah. so only God knows what He did in their hearts, you know, during the during yeah. the concert. Of course, I wish, th- of course, I wish I could preach like you, Doctor Michael. You know, because I wish I could that- sing and play like you. So we each <laughs> we each have our our grace and our gift, man. Uh, and look, you. It's decades ago you played for Billy Graham in Central Park, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, that was another thing. Yeah, they were looking for somebody to represent the Jewish people there, and I was there. they were given my name, and I, I got a chance to sing the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, right there in Central Park. That was amazing. a great experience as well. Just I think, amazing. And I think, I think, you know, what you're doing with your radio show and your books and your writing and your preaching, I mean, 
you're you're really helping to get the Jewish voice heard all across the earth, and we appreciate Misha and I so appreciate your your including us on your show and and uh, promoting and you know in in a good positive and wholesome way promoting <laughs> our music and what we're doing. We so appreciate yeah. it. From, from from the heart. By the way, did, did I did I send you guys yet the Power of Music book? I know I was no, supposed you, to. You talk okay, to no, me about I, it. I didn't. Okay, so I I will get out a copy for you and a copy for Misha. Sorry, sorry, my apologies. There. <laughs> hey, that's all right. All right. I may I may I may just I may just uh, completely completely steal everything you say in there and start preaching it myself. I'll give that's you fine. I'll give you credit, of course. <laughs> that, that's that's all right. Hey, hey, Misha, we've just got a minute before we're done. What's your hope for people who get live from Jerusalem? What's your hope in terms of what this DVD CD is going to do for them? they would be um, kind of transported into the time and place that we were in Israel. And for people who, you know, maybe never get to make it to Jerusalem um, or to Israel, that they would feel by watching this DVD that they are there and that they would go from their living rooms to Israel and um, just be so brought in by the music and the mm. worship um, that it would just give them an experience that they will never forget. And I must say, Michael, that I that I owe the entire experience to Misha and her husband Josh because Jenny and I had to almost be coaxed into doing it. But once mm. we did it, we were so blessed and we're so grateful, and we think people will really, really be blessed by what came from that. And, and you know what? Just like I hope you're going to be blessed when I send you the Power of Music book. I'll be blessed to get a copy of the DVD. That would be, uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to. Love, and listen, friends, go to Marty Getz, G-O-E-T-Z, MartyGetz.com. Find out about his Israel trip in May. It'd be awesome if you could join him. Love you guys. Thanks for being with us today. Love you too. Thank you. Shalom. Shalom.